Good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVY, the voice of the in-depth news, conversation and talk about the people, ideas and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. And to Matt and our guests and our listeners, everyone listening today, happy hump day, happy Wednesday, the midpoint of the week. Mr. Matt Neely, as always, good morning to you. Thanks for doing what you do. Morning, Zach. It uh, it feels a little bit actually like a Tuesday to me, like a Wednesday Eve to me, and that's a that's my segue to thank uh, Ben Bueller Garcia for sitting in for me yesterday, uh, as I had uh, some family stuff to attend uh, to. All is good. It's all good stuff. But uh, every now and again. Uh, I have to step away, but I trust people like Ben Bueller Garcia. And Matt, I told Ben this, so I'll just say it on air. I was jealous of the show he had put together (laughs) on my program. And I thought, you know what? If I'm jealous of the show he got to do, that means it was good. It's a good thing. But um, it it was on housing. And I thought he did a great job, Matt. So thank you as well. And yeah, they approached it from uh, kind of the governmental side and the private industry, uh, you know, the private uh, sector side. It was a good. Good show. Uh, check it out on the podcast. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it had government, it had private sector. It was, that was a really balanced show. And then y'all know Ben by now. Uh, ben also hosts a show here uh, on Ten Three, The Voice on the weekend. So familiar voice, trusted voice, and uh, he comes at things from a really great balanced perspective. And so thank you, Ben, if you're listening. Appreciate you. And uh, uh, thanks for thanks for stepping in. So, but we are back in studio today. It is our Wednesday show here on the program. To close us out, I'll back into what we're up to today. To close us out, the bottom of the hour, Laura Conover comes on. She's the Pima County Attorney. We're going to discuss her decision uh, after a couple of months to resume filing charges in minor drug cases. We're going to have a law inform conversation on what that means, how we got here, and what it means going forward. But to kick us off today is a conversation we're going to pick back up with Pastor Jeff Lockson, our faith and culture contributor, pastor of Hope City Church here on the 22nd Street Corridor in Tucson. We took a bit of a break last week, and it's good to, good to see you, Pastor. Good to be seen. Last week was our break week, right? It, well, it was. was a, it? We had um, 120 students come okay. out from San Diego. It's their it. seventh trip to Tucson and doing surf projects all throughout the community. Phenomenal for the community and awesome for me just to step away and spend time with them. Absolutely. I, I just, time is blending <laughs> together. Uh, I actually feel sometimes like I'm in a video game that somebody else is playing and I'm just kind of in it. And I can think of what it looks like to look at me doing it because it feels like that. Someone may be working on that. <laughs> There's a lot of people theorizing that actually may be true. Um, our first quick conversation, because we're going to keep heading towards Easter, Pastor. Yes. But I felt that way, that same exact way uh-huh. um, with the thing that started the week. And I kind of swore that I wouldn't talk about it, but we're here we are. Um, and that is at the Oscars. I didn't watch it, but you can't avoid the clip of uh, Will Smith going up on stage and slapping Chris Rock. And uh, in a weird reality where weird things happen, it reminded me of <laughs> Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, where he said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. So I thought, why not? We can go there. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you and I were, you mentioned it, and I said, uh, I, I, I mean, was, how do you was, not talk about I was that? I half but, joking, Jeff. I was <laughs> but then I also said, I'm wondering if your listeners aren't more sophisticated than that. And then I said, I'm willing to talk about it, so I don't know what camp that puts me in. But... Um, this is, I, this is our faith and culture segment. It, We're looking at faith and church, community yeah. and culture, and how it all comes together. And yeah, I, you know, I th- I think it, as you and I were talking about it, I I saw it in a clip, and I thought, well, this must be old news because I've been caught up in other events, and then I watched it a number of times, just trying to grasp everything that was going on. In you know, as we're having a conversation about spiritual implications, turn the other cheek. People can theorize about what was going on in. Will Smith's head and, 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 you know, I've even heard things that said, well, it was a, a plot to try and get more viewership for, for the Academy Awards, whatever. I think um, for us with, within the spiritual realm, you talk about turn the other cheek. It's how, how do we find us? I've had moments like that where I've done it really well and moments like that where I've behaved poorly and wish that I could take it back. Who knows? where each of those guys are in all of that. But I think that the deeper issue is when we find ourselves in a moment where we want to respond or we want to lash out, turning the other cheek means giving up the right or the opportunity to do that. Um, I don't know that it's because it's the right thing to do, even, even though that's certainly a part of it. But from someone in the faith community, it's uh, when, when I lash out in the ways that Will chose to, um, surprised by the way Chris chose to respond because I would have been angry to be in that place. It's w- when I say I'm not going to retaliate, it's me giving up the opportunity to respond because there's something else that will happen inside me when I do. And we can elaborate on that, but, but you know, people talk about the issues of forgiveness and leading into Easter. So this is going somewhere. Leading into <laughs> Easter, you know, issues of forgiveness or unforgiveness are central to where <clears throat> we're at. And there's a lot of hurt going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And when people are hell-bent on revenge, uh, it just perpetuates that ugliness in ways that we'll never be able to get back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we're not gonna we're not gonna spend time on this because I I think our listenership is way more sophisticated. And, <laughs> you agree with me? And I, I have resisted the urge to post on social media, but I mean, you know, look, uh, you know, when one of the most famous sermon famous sermons of all time talks about, hey, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other one. And uh, we start our week with someone getting slapped across the face uh, on real TV, and it wasn't a stun; it was actually real. Uh, how can you? How can you not? And so, but 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 the interesting piece is though, is, is that this you know kind of speaks to um, it's not pacifism. It's not hold not holding people to account. It's you know look if your honor if you feel like your honor has been besmirched, uh, there is a way to handle it, and it was not the way that it was that it was handled. Um, there were better ways that it could have been handled. You know, and uh, one of the most famous sermons of all time speaks to uh, uh, basically foregoing retaliation for personal offenses and finding the better way to handle it. What would have been the result if you would have walked on stage, received his award and said, look, I'm I'm hurt by the joke. It was, you know, not not it was ill timed. And this is what's going on with my wife. And if you're not familiar with it, here's an opportunity to create awareness, you know, and some empathy. 
Um, but the man inside of him that I think many people admire in the roles that he's played on on the big screen is what lashed out. I got to tell you, the other day I confessed to our church. I was driving to church, pulled out in into traffic, and this lady jumps on my bumper and just lays on her horn. And she's in, a, you know, she was speeding. I wasn't like cutting her off, but everything inside of me. Uh, had to fight fight the urge to be passive aggressive and to retaliate. So I know that we all deal with those opportunities. How do we respond? And when we respond poorly, is there a way to turn the other cheek, so to speak, and mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, I, I made a mistake, and mm-hmm. um, I want to be better." Mm-hmm. Yeah, one person who looked at this uh, sermon, uh, this line comes out of from Matthew. And we'll move on after this, thank God, said this. Did did someone insult you? Let him. Are you shocked and offended? Don't be. Don't return insult for insult. That's the idea of turning the other cheek, you know. And, yeah, like, let Hollywood do what Hollywood's going to do, and it's always going to be a little stupid to some degree. But I think in our politics, in our community life, in our life, you know, for a long time we've been returning shock and offense and insult for another shock and offense and insult. And I think the escalation of that, we see the current reality of what that of what that happens, where it leads. And you know, and Jesus in his sermon said, "Look, be the person that turns the temperature down." Right. We joke about maybe we shouldn't have brought this up, but I have to believe someone needs to hear that this morning. Someone needs to apologize to a significant other, or to their kids, or to a coworker, and say, "Hey, look, I I could have done that better. I could have done that differently." You know, uh, mm-hmm. eat, eat, eat the humble pie and push the reset button on that relationship. I think mm-hmm. that moves us into a better place, especially heading towards Easter. There we go. All right. Pastor Jeff, our faith and culture contributor. The intersection of uh, faith and culture was real. That was my, I feel like I'm in a video game moment. Somebody else is doing, <laughs> playing this, and we're just, we're bystanders in our own story. Uh, but I want to go to our break. I want to talk about, of course, the big day coming up in the Christian faith is Easter. Uh, it's usually a day when the pews are filled. But the numbers point to uh, the, the Christian tradition uh, seeing a declining participation and uh, I want to talk about an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal uh, that talked about what is a good church mm-hmm. and why is the church faltering. Always mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll, be, we'll be back. Uh, one more segment on this with our faith and culture contributor. Pima County Attorney Laura Conover is on the other side at the bottom of the hour news break. We'll be right back here on Tipping Point on 1030 The Voice. Listen to the live stream and find podcasts of your favorite shows at KVOI.com. Hey, guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, then the Sustainable Strength System is for you. I was hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I didn't need. And in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. And it's working. I'm losing the weight. If you're ready for a three-month journey to better health and strength, go to SustainableStrengthSystem.com. Located just two doors down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger opened just last fall and is serving up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. They're open Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson and mention you heard about them on Tipping Point for 15% off your next order. 
Hey you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in greater Tucson, helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural loss sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Casser Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Tucson, have you heard of local nonprofit Impact of Southern Arizona, where we are more than just a food bank, with a clothing bank, youth and senior programs, where we are moving people forward. Arizona Gives Day is coming up on April 5th and 6th, where you have the chance to support organizations like Impact. Learn more about Impact of Southern Arizona and our critical programs at www.impactsoaz.org. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for The Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. This is Tipping Point on 1030 The Voice, part two of our conversation um, with Pastor Jeff Watson, our faith and culture contributor. I'm not even going to uh, debrief our first segment uh, because I didn't want to go there in the first place, but we did. So we did. if you just joined us, go back and listen to the podcast uh, where where life, reality, uh, and history and lessons all come together. But we try to look at the intersection of faith, culture, community, church uh, here in our few moments together on a regular basis. Uh, Easter is a big day coming up. We've been talking about it a little bit uh, in the Christian faith. Uh, it's often a day where even casual churchgoers you know, make a point to be there. Usually the pews are filled. Uh, the numbers we continue to see show uh, generational declining participation in churches. And, Pastor, there was a, a piece recently in the Wall Street Journal um, that uh, basically says a thriving church can save a faltering one. It's just chalk it up to outdated leadership and style. And basically, I, I read the article as if we just have cool churches that are younger and do a few things better that would merge in some of these family neighborhood churches, then we'd be fine. And I thought uh, not only is that a very – I think cold and factory approach to <laughs> this thing we call church as a social institution. I think it's deeper than that. Sure. And uh, there was a, a piece written by a reader actually back to the Wall Street Journal um, who said, this piece doesn't work for me. 
I'm looking for other things out of what defines a good church. And it's not about, you know, is the pastor younger? Is the music better? And is the paint color the right color? Um, so it leads me to ask you as pastor of a church in a time where church participation is at generational lows, questions of what is the importance of a church have never been greater when scandals are more public what makes a good church mm-hmm. and and why does why does it matter yeah i mean that's such a powerful question if uh for our listeners uh taking a moment to even answer that in your own mind what what make what in your mind makes a church great i think people that grew up in the church probably would migrate towards you know a great sermon or great worship I was reflecting on the life of Christ and how much time he spent teaching the disciples versus acting out. And there's a pushback in the community now with with uh, the social gospel, meaning that it's all works and, and not enough of the teaching. And so there's this weird dichotomy there. Um, but I think the things that we've observed in our own community on the 22nd Street corridor have to do with three things I'll mention here. And I would love in the future to be able to hear what our listeners are, are replying. But I think one of those has to do with the empowerment of of the gifts that the people in the church have. How, how do I identify the people who are there um, and, and what they bring to the table and help them make the most of those gifts and employ them in ways that are relevant to the community? Um, that leads to the second one in my mind, which is, uh, does the church uh, meet the needs of the community in a practical way? Um, or is it or is it largely unknown to the community that exists in and, and the third one that I think is closely connected to that is, does the leadership have a relationship with the people in the neighborhood? Or is it, or is it isolated unto itself and, and exclusive from the people that are there? I think that there's a lot more that makes a great church great. But I think empowerment of the people um, acknowledging the needs in the community and having a relationship with the community is a beginning point for a church to actually have impact in, in the places that it's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is a question that we've touched uh, before. Again, we're kind of responding to a piece in the Wall Street Journal from earlier this month, A Thriving Church Can Save a Faltering One. I think it's that article was very much about the church as an organizational body mm-hmm. from a profit and loss statement standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, the profits have to be greater than the losses or no institution can thrive. It's, mm-hmm. it's important too. But you went a completely different direction. Uh, in terms of saying that it's it's about how the community shapes the church and how the church shapes the individual. Mm-hmm. We don't talk anymore about how the church is a shaping institution. Mm-hmm. We talk about whether the aesthetics are good. I actually think we need to be empowering neighborhood churches, and we need to be revitalizing the mission of those churches, not merging it in, you know, corporately into you know, a, a, a big kind of mega system. I don't know if that's the direction to go. Well, and we can talk about the profit and loss side of it. I come from a business background. It doesn't make sense on paper for the, I'll just speak personally about Hope City Church to reach the people that it reaches on the 22nd Street corridor. If the average person gave 500 a month in the past, that person is now $20 a month today. How do you sustain an organization with that kind of disparity? But here's the reality. When we talked to the previous church about about meeting the immediate community, they said, we don't want to reach out to the immediate community because they don't have any money. I know from reading scripture, that's not who God is. 
and God cares about all of us, regardless of our socioeconomic status, ethnicity, what have you. So we did anyways. It doesn't make sense on the bottom line. But what we saw was God would provide from places that we never even imagined because we were searching for and, and providing help to the people that no one else wanted to reach. It's a phenomenal opportunity, I think, for the community to rally together to to bless a place like Tucson and certainly the 22nd Street Corridor because the needs are vast. And I think we're starting to see, and I'm, I'm sad there's only three minutes left to go. Maybe we should have another conversation about this later on. I think we're seeing more uh, leaders of churches become more openly bivocational, mm-hmm. um, realizing that they need to have their own entrepreneurial efforts going mm-hmm. to sustain the mission that they would like to do in their community mm-hmm. but may not you know, receive the funding from institutions, you know, church-wise that they need um, to survive. You know, and I, I just, my, my quick thought is, and I, this is not prescriptive, I'm not saying this is the way everybody should live, but I'm lucky to live in a way where my church, my work, my kids' school, um, and my home are in a one-and-a-half square mile radius. And there was a time where churches served a direct community. Right. And, and and now we get to have this kind of consumer version of church where we can pick and choose what and where. Mm-hmm. And I think it's stripped the church of why it's important at a local level. And until we repair that, we're going to keep having these conversations, right? Yeah, I mean, the relationships, they're central to what happens in the community. And I'll just end with this story. We had a, an elderly woman in line waiting for food at the pantry, and I happened to walk up to the car and to introduce myself and say hello. I didn't introduce myself as pastor. It wasn't about that. But she, not knowing who I was, just said, do you know anybody that can help me unclog the pipes at my house? I don't have anybody that can help. And I said, we'll work on that for you. You know, there's such practical needs in our own community that everyone can contribute to if we're open to those opportunities. I, I, there's, there's a guy named Yuval Levine, and he writes about how, you know, our institutions have all become platforms for individuals rather than institutions that shape individuals, school, government, church, mm-hmm. name, anything but the military. And we've made them platforms, not institutions that shape us Mm -hmm. and i think my interest in the conversations you and i get to have is what does it look like to restore you know both you know there's the spiritual component but there's the human component of Mm -hmm. the church as an institution uh part of the the fabric of our communities that shapes people in place Mm -hmm. and i think you know just merging a faltering church into a cooler church isn't going to solve that No, that's not what it's about. And if you're listening to this message, look for someone around you today that has a practical need that you're able to to meet. I love it. Uh, To be continued, as always, Pastor Jeff Loxton, pastor of Hope City Church. Where can people find you offline? We're at HopeCityChurchTucson.com. Very cool. Pastor, let's do this again soon. Sounds good. All right. Uh, We'll be back after bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, Pima County Attorney Laura Conover is with us to discuss the reversal of her policy uh, to prosecute drug possession cases, minor drug possession cases. We'll be right back after bottom of the hour. In 
2021, FC Tucson was just getting started. We're building something special that all of Tucson can be proud of. Don't miss FC Tucson in action in 2022. Secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the FC Tucson app in the App Store or Google Play to get updates on MLS preseason as FC Tucson welcomes the biggest teams in U.S. soccer in January and February. Hey you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in greater Tucson, helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural loss sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Castor Family Ween of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Helping you make better money decisions is what the Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. back Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVOI, The Voice, Daily In-Depth News, conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. We just wrapped up with our faith and culture contributor, Pastor Jeff Locks, in an interesting conversation that was multifaceted. And I want to jump right over to our conversation that will take us to the end of the hour with Pima County Attorney Laura Conover uh, discussing drug possession cases uh, and the prosecution of those. Uh, Laura, it's great to be with you. Thanks for, for coming in. Good morning, Zach. It's always wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and uh, we are actually just uh, a few short steps from you anyway, so it's con- it's more convenient. Right. Than, it's more convenient. I can see the building from my window. <laughs> you can see the building uh, from, uh, from your window. So I reached out to your team because earlier this month, you know, the the headline was Pima County Attorney Resumes Filing Charges in Minor Drug Cases. And I wanted to discuss that a little bit more in depth. In other words, why in December uh, did you stop, um, say that you were going to trial a pause of filing charges? And then earlier this month, you said, we're going to go back to it again. So right. let's start there. I, I really appreciate this because it's it's a complicated topic. I I want to give your listeners just a, a brief history, real quick. March of 2020, uh, COVID hits. 
My predecessor, Barbara LaWall, issues a memo to all law enforcement saying, I'm not going to charge simple drug possession. Don't bring people to the jail. It's not safe. Let's get a handle on COVID. Much to her credit, um, a, a, a brilliant move, surely, in, in the sense of public safety and public health. When I came in, um, in, in the heady days before the Delta variant, when we when we all demassed, if you recall, we that, declared independence. We did late spring of 2021. Uh, the world believed we might, uh, you know, we were vaccinated, and it was before the Delta variant, and that was a critical moment because the steps court had launched, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So I lifted that declination memo, and we launched the steps court, which is the nation's first pre-charge drug court. Um, then fast forward, and the jail population swells. It had gotten all the way down to 1,300, which was determined to be um, a sort of a, a social distanced CDC safe number in the building. It swelled, Zach, all the way up to 1,800, which was looking at historic highs for the jail and was way too crowded. And so in October of 2021, my office takes a deep data dive three days and we file motions and we move about 200 people out of custody who, who, who shouldn't be there. They're there on low-level nonviolent cases. We get it down to 1,600. We can't budget any, we can't budge that number down any further towards 1,300. And then Omicron hits and it's all over the jail. It's the jail is full of, of COVID. So I, I reinstated the old memo. Um, I said, we're not gonna charge. Please don't bring them to the jail. It's unsafe. Um, and and then and then what we did what I promised from the very beginning is we tracked the data. I, I said from the beginning we are going to pilot solutions to to problems of the day, and then we're going to have the courage to look and see if it's working. So when I when I asked law enforcement to stop bringing people to the jail in October, the population was 1671, uh, excuse me, December, December, Zach, 1671, and on the day I lifted it, it was 1673. We hadn't moved the jail population at all, and we were threatening, the court was threatening that we were going to lose the steps court, the nation's first pre-charged drug Because it wasn't being used. Right, no. And no one, in months. No, no one, was, go no one was, was going in. So, Zach, to give you and your listeners a picture, we're talking about people getting arrested for simple drug possession anyway, booked into the jail, sitting for hours and hours in a huge cramped group in what's called the pit. Um, it's literally a pit in the jail waiting for their first hearing. And then finally, my deputy would get the chance to dismiss their case. Well, what we're doing now is, at that critical moment, we're moving them into the steps court instead, and we and we can talk about what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, and and that was kind of what I was gathering uh, was was COVID was a piece of this, but I think it was the um, a, a reason why this could be put into place when it was. Um, but my sense from both you and Sheriff Nanos is there's a bigger picture that you both are after um, in terms of reducing the jail population, just period. And it really seemed like the step court, the supportive treatment and engagement program uh, was the real reason to resume filing charges. Uh, and I think you had said it in black and white was 
let's get some data behind that because we haven't used it enough. It's not getting used. The courts are telling us they're going to stop doing this until there's people within the program. I mean, public defender Feynman and others, you know, have been pushing back on you as well to some degree uh, of saying, you know, we don't think that the step court should be. I mean, we're just adding criminal charging layers on top of this. We shouldn't even be going in that direction um, anyway. So there, there's some really interesting, um, interesting dynamics here. Um, while we're also seeing an increase in drug use and an increase in folks out on our streets who are dealing with mental health and 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 drug abuse you're you're hitting the nail on the head it's it's complex and there is certainly a camp out there that um that believes that when we when we bring people who have a substance use disorder into the system and we make them system involved and now we have the criminal justice system hanging over their head um that it's that it's counterproductive um, and certainly there is data to, to show that. But I need to look at exactly what's happening here in, in Pima County. And while I wasn't charging and while, or more to the point, while I wasn't putting anyone into the treatment court, we also hit a record in December on opioid overdo- overdose deaths. So that was another data point that weighed on all of us heavily, was that my deputies were, were dismissing people and they were walking out of the jail and onto the dark street at 3 o'clock in the morning with nothing. And we spike on overdose deaths. Well, now we're moving them back into the steps court, which is a holistic court. On, on day 8 after their arrest, there's a court hearing and it's wraparound, Zach, meaning the court's there... Um, they get enrolled in access health insurance if they're not. Housing is there. Behavioral health is there. Treatment is there, of course. So, so we need. My sense is we've got to let that steps court go for a while, and then check the data again. I very much agree with public defender Feynman that we need a, we need to figure out a control group. You know, we need the best data that we can to see what what works best treatment courts or a hands-off approach entirely i you know i don't know that i'm old enough to have a lot of context around the war on drugs yeah. i know what it is it's still very much in in play i think to some level today but i i'm not old enough to know the full context on that right. so i feel like i'm coming in a little bit more pragmatically of saying you know, uh, in, in my, a lot of my work in the community is around housing. And I even have some concerns, this is not why we're here today, around housing first, uh, because we have a, uh, a massively growing challenge with mental health and, and, and drug abuse. And I think a lot of our policies around deflection and other things assumes that people will voluntarily make their lives better if only the resources are there. And I think there's other data points, Laura, if I can nerd out with you for a minute, that Please. show, and I think it backs up some of the steps court things, that if we have a criminal justice system that is providing a layer of accountability uh, that says our social contract together around order, creating freedom, um, uh, provides a level of accountability. A lot of folks who are clean now will tell you that I'm clean now because Laura said I had to be. 
you know, yes. and, 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 and so I'm struggling, as I yes. know a lot of our listeners are, of, you know, certainly we want to make sure that we are not criminalizing behavior without providing solutions, but we can't completely let our hands off. How do we have reform, which has been your platform, um, without pulling back on the accountability that, when done right, is our criminal justice system? I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think the answer to that in our system is called needs assessment. And, and so what we, what we have to do is we have to assess who we're actually working with. And I think that's what the war on drugs, that, that was a big part of what the war on drugs failed to do, was that everybody was a number, fill the beds, max everything out, hang them high, throw away the key, and we, we dehumanize the whole system. What we're trying to do now is, is actual needs assessment for you as a person, Zach. And maybe that means that you do voluntarily choose deflection if you're having an encounter on the street with a Tucson Police Department officer and you choo- and he, he or she takes you to Kodak instead of jail and that works for you. Or maybe it's then the steps court. Or maybe you've been in and out of the system for over a decade and you're in my DTAP court, right? It's post-conviction and you're, you're older and you're... So it's we have all these layers to assess actual needs for the person in front of us rather than just sort of making an assumption that j- jail is a fix for, for everyone. We're with Laura Conover this morning, Pima County attorney. We are spot on in terms of when we should go to break. I often oh. break the rules of, on that, but we need to go to break about 945. It's 945. Perfect. But we're talking with the county attorney on uh, on her decision to resume filing charges um, in minor drug cases, uh, I, 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 which I think, you know, to involve the STEPS Court, which is a supportive treatment and engagement program, yeah, a, a, an in-depth conversation on what is going on here and how do we tackle the problem that we know we see in the, our community of rapidly rising levels uh, of drug use, of drug trafficking. Uh, we have to solve that. Uh, we'll be back after a short break for part two of our conversation this morning with Pima County Attorney. I believe there's some data on who's in our jails that you might be able to share. Hot off the press. Hot off the press. Like literally hot off the press. Literally. It, it's not even morning. on the press to be off the press. That's true. It's how hot it is. It's about to be on the press. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back after this uh, uh, short break on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The next generation of talk. Tipping Point with Zach Genser. 1030 The Voice. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule 
Stealing Time with Devin and her team. In 2021, FC Tucson was just getting started. We're building something special that all of Tucson can be proud of. Don't miss FC Tucson in action in 2022. Secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the FC Tucson app in the App Store or Google Play to get updates on MLS preseason as FC Tucson welcomes the biggest teams in U.S. soccer in January and February. Hey guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, then the Sustainable Strength System is for you. I was hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I didn't need, and in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. And it's working. I'm losing the weight. If you're ready for a three-month journey to better health and strength, go to SustainableStrengthSystem.com. Located just two doors down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger opened just last fall and is serving up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. They're open Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson and mention you heard about them on Tipping Point for 15% off your next order. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. This is Bill Buckmaster, philanthropist Jim Click, at noon on 1030, Tucson's Voice for Trusted News Talk. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVY, The Voice, part two of our conversation this morning with Pima County Attorney Laura Conover. We're discussing the recent decision this month uh, to resume filing charges in minor drug cases, uh, a decision that was made back in December uh, for covid based reasons, uh, but for, I think, other reasons was resumed, reasons that, uh, to me, uh, make sense in terms of, I think, our criminal justice system has a role to play uh, in accountability um, and in order. Uh, Sheriff Nenos made an interesting comment in a piece uh, in The Star a couple of weeks ago. I think you were mentioned in it as um, as well. He said something uh, like this. I didn't really need Laura Conover's help to reduce the jail population because of COVID. It's funny because I know you and him agree on a bunch of stuff. It just yeah. reads kind of funny when yeah. you're reading it. I mean, that's an honorable thing to do, but I stressed to her and to the courts and the judges what I needed their help to do was to reduce the jail population because we have people in our custody um, who don't need to be there. And I want to get your thoughts on what do you think that means? You have some data on who is in the Pima County Jail 
And uh, my lens on this, and, and I'll turn over to you to the end, is you know I think over the last couple of years we see a spike um, in mental health, a spike in drug use, a spike in homicides. I think our numbers are going in the wrong direction, uh, and I'm and I'm troubled because we see with a roadmap that is in so many other cities. How do we avoid going there in this community? Uh, what, what does Sheriff Nanos mean, and what does it look like to reduce the jail population over the next few years? Yeah, it, it's probably the, the, the thing that Sheriff Nanos and I agree on the very most, and it has to do, we, we just are both so frustrated um, by the jail population, and, and, I'll, and I'll throw Chief Kazmar in there too. The, the, it's the initial appearance process that we're really hoping we can, we can overhaul, and we, we need to continue to work with our partners on, on a better way forward. Um, and I'll add another quote, um, Zach, that, that Sheriff Nanos has said, which is that we are in this homicide spike. It's this nationwide um, violent homicide spike it's it's happening almost everywhere. It's happening here, and and our focus is here on what's happening in Pima County. And what he has said is, I have a a ton of people inside the Pima County Jail who have been charged with unspeakably violent crimes, and so that's again a particular moment to not also crowd me with people who shouldn't be in there at all. Here's the bottom line, Zach. It doesn't matter how hard Sheriff Nanos and his team works or, or any sheriff, you, you have the healthiest, safest jail that you can. But if we're placing people in there um, who are presenting as an ongoing threat of harm because that's the actual purpose of a jail, then therefore it's not safe. It's never going to be safe to put people in there, to warehouse people in there who are ill with substance use disorder, m- mental illness, uh, low-level, nonviolent, non-victim crimes, um, it, as if it were a hospital, and it's not. So, L- Laura, yeah. can I stop you real yeah, quick please, there? I think we have please. plenty of time. We have a question on the line mm. around defining a minor crime, and I think it's a really great question. I should have covered that. Let's go to the phone lines real quick, Lauren. I wanted to fit your question in really fast. Thanks for calling in. Your question for Pima County Attorney Conover. Yes, sir. Uh, very simply, uh, what constitutes a minor offense? I assume it's a non-felony. Uh, no, I would I would say that when when we're talking about release, so I, I want to clarify here that we're talking about release. The question is, is this person an ongoing threat of harm and needs to be separated from society and 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 jailed at the Pima County Jail? Or can we release this person and have them come to their court hearings um, in, in a safe fashion? And so that's the, when we're talking about release, that's the quintessential um, and complex question. So low-level, non-violent, non-victim, you know, is a starting point. And then it's a, it's a whole host of quick questions about prior convictions, criminal history, um, you know, which might weigh against or and then in favor is community support, housing, work. Um, is this person uh, um, releasable? And, and in terms of simple drug possession, kind of where we started, minor drug cases, I think Laura would include mm-hmm. simple drug possession, paraphernalia, or related personal use cases. 
Right. I mean, that's sort of the easiest starting point, right? Okay. But it, but we do that, and we always do that analysis, even if if a case presents as low level and nonviolent. We it, that's why we do that full analysis because if they have a history of violent behavior, if they uh, if they behaved in a violent manner while the officer tried to take them into custody, you know, it's it, we're looking at all these kinds of things that try to tell us is this person an ongoing threat of harm. Gotcha, Laura and I appreciate I appreciate that question and, yeah. and Laura. Thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me jump in there. Yeah. We have about three minutes left. You were about to dig into some data. Uh, this is data that we're hearing here pretty much first, I believe. You are other than you. you. Are. Yes. <laughs> so, so 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 the composition of our jails. Right. Exactly. Um, what what Sheriff Nanos and Chief Kazmar and I have been talking about forever is that the the release system, the initial parent system, is failing us on both ends. If you if you put a cash bond on someone, they can pay it and go right back out into our society, even though they are clearly presenting as a threat of harm. And on the low end, we're trapping people on low cash bond who shouldn't be there to begin with. And and a, one marker that you want to constantly look at to make sure that we're getting the right results in the jail is the jail population itself. So if we look at Pima County, and we've got 50, uh, I'm going to be approximate here so mm-hmm. we can understand this, 50% white, 37% Hispanic, 5% indig- indigenous, and 3.5% black, right? So that's Pima County, right? But I'm looking at five months of data, and I'm looking at the jail population, and the Hispanic population inside the jail is sometimes as high as 44% as opposed to 37 and even more alarming, 3.5% black in Pima County, right? And the black population in the jail can be as high as 16%. So the racial ethnic disparities are are something we have to keep in mind constantly. It 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 implores the system to overhaul and modernize the initial appearance process. It's not it's not working for us. We're getting um, we're we're having people pay bonds and walk back out and finish the violent crimes they started. We're we're warehousing people who are ill for no reason, and we're creating a horrible racial disparity inside the jail. And this is the data we're pulling um, to continue to work with our partners, to continue to work with the county and see how we can. Uh, we can't give up. We can't give up. We have to improve this. You know, I, I would love to have you back on sooner than later to kind of talk about this. We're talking about a current event today, but this, you know, issue really uh, um, interests me in the sense that, you know, when the war on crime started, when the war on drugs started, it was often started by urban neighborhoods, uh, African American and Hispanic neighborhoods who wanted to leave their porch and enter the street again uh and and this cycle always happens and so i'm always curious about those numbers is it a systems thing or does it reflect something else that is happening out in the community um that we need to be looking at and 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 i think we conflate the two um sometimes the time with you just flew by um laura where can people contact you if they want to ask a question or reach out to your office oh please we try to be so accessible um our new website at 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 the Pima County Attorney's Office um, has a number of ways to contact us so easily. Online forms, um, there, you know, there's an email address. It's it's uh, we're 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 available around the clock. 
<laughs> What's that email address? Uh, www. PimaCounty.gov, I believe. Okay. Google will be more. <laughs> Go to the Google. Point. Uh huh. <laughs> Go to the Google. <laughs> Laura, thank you for taking time out of what is a busy schedule to discuss this with us today. And love to have you back on sooner than later. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Be safe out there.